This week we start our Lenten series, which we're calling The Other Side of Our Savior. Often we look at the power of Jesus, the miracles that he performed. We see the Godhood of the Christ. We don't often spend as much time focusing on how he was human. But we confess that Jesus was fully man and fully God, a concept that we can't fully wrap our brains around. It's, it's not something that makes sense, and so it is a tension that the Christian must wrestle with, for his attention that the Bible, the Word of God, affirms. I've been interested in looking at the human side of Jesus, largely because we're human. And that's a part of him that we can relate to. We aren't God. We aren't God. We worship God. But we are human. And so how did Jesus, as a man, do ministry? How, how did he act or react to certain stimuli? And what can we learn from how he functioned? How can looking at the human side, the other side of our Savior, encourage not only our ministries, but also our relationship with our God? As we take this journey, we'll be going through the book of Mark. It's a, it's a bit more of an emotional gospel. I, I, I love it, and, and I love that it wasn't written by one of the disciples, but by a follower of Jesus. Mark was a bit of a youngster was as mature as, as the other followers. And so some of the book of Mark is a bit more raw, a bit more emotional. And it is through this lens that we'll be taking our journey to the cross, which will culminate at Easter. We begin this week by taking a look at Mark chapter 1, verses 29 to 39. Now, the book of Mark doesn't say much about Jesus' birth. He starts off talking about John the Baptist. Then he hits Jesus' baptism, and then the calling of the first disciples, then right into Jesus' teaching and healing ministry, and that's all just the first 28 verses of chapter 1. Mark doesn't beat around the bush. He gets straight to the point. And so we're going to get right into it as well by picking up with Mark chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 29 to 39. If you have your Bibles with you, I encourage you to follow along. If you prefer, there should be a Bible in the pew back in front of you. Or you are welcome to follow along with the words that will be on the screens. We read the word of the Lord this morning. Mark chapter 1, 29 to 39. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they immediately, took, they immediately told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand, and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons. But he would not let the demons speak, because they knew who he was. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, Let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. Thus ends the reading. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word, for your word is truth. God, I pray that you would speak through your word this morning, that you would perform the miracle that feeds our souls. We pray this in your name. Amen. The other day, one of my sons asked me, what came first, 
the telephone or the iPad? <laughs> I had to ask him to clarify if he meant the telephone in its purest form, like the landline, or if he meant a cell phone. And he just said, a real phone. <laughs> I told him that real phones dated back to before I was born, and he just shook his head, no, Dad, like a real phone, like the phones you and Mom have. Oh, so we're even talking, we're not even talking landlines versus cell phones. We've just skipped right over that Nikia brick, and, and we're just talking smartphones now. He was a little dismayed to find out that in a, the wager that he had had with his brother, he was wrong, because the phone came before the iPad. But it made me think about how far technology has come in just my lifetime. I remember when, when video games were just starting to come out, my parents weren't opposed to me playing them, but they refused to bring one into our house permanently. At times, we would rent a Nintendo, but they weren't going to be fixtures in the Stenberg house. But I loved video games. And I would try to figure out ways to play them as much as I could, though growing up in farm country in Saskatchewan, Canada, my options were pretty limited. There was, however, a girl that went to my school. She didn't attend our church, but she went to a church out in the country that was like a sister church to ours. And she rode the same school bus that I did, and, and she didn't live overly far away by bike. And she didn't just have a Nintendo. She had a Super Nintendo. And so some days, when I really got the urge to play, I would ask her on the bus if she wanted to hang out after school. If she had time that particular day. And if she said yes, her mom would call my mom on a landline rotary phone. And if things worked out, I'd grab my bike and pedal the 20 minutes to her house. Now, she probably knew that I wasn't actually interested in spending time with her. I mean, I wanted to play with her, but only because Mario Kart was a two-player game. I didn't want to go build a fort in the trees that grew around her house. I didn't want to talk about school. I didn't want to play catch or house or anything else. My fifth and sixth grade self really just wanted to spend time with her so that I could play video games. In my eyes, as a little guy, obviously pretty focused on myself, that was the purpose of our relationship. It wasn't relational as much as it was transactional. We got along, we knew each other, but our relationship didn't really go farther than sitting in front of the TV. And that was largely my fault. As I pondered the text this week, I was challenged by the question, is the relationship we have with God relational, or is it transactional? I think scripture is pretty clear what God desires our relationship with him to be. We see it in the first verse of our text this morning. Jesus has just spent a bunch of time in the synagogue, the local church in Capernaum, casting out demons, and now he's ready to relax. He's ready to invest some time in his friends. He wants to eat and laugh and enjoy the company of the people that he's surrounded himself with. So he goes with James and John to the house of Simon and Andrew. It's been a long day. It's been a good day. A lot of ministry has taken place, but Jesus is ready to chill. He and his friends are looking forward to a fantastic Sabbath meal. They're going to sit around the table and tell stories and jokes. They're going to laugh and put their feet up as they digest. I don't know what they did for entertainment back in the first century. I'm not that much of a historian. But if this were happening today, they'd be turning on the football or baseball game. Maybe they'd pull out Monopoly or some other board game. 
Uh, would come the drinks and the snacks, maybe a puzzle. The idea was to spend time and enjoy each other. And while they were spending time enjoying each other, ministry takes place. Simon's mother has a fever. The commentaries I looked at all agreed that Simon didn't know this to be the case when he invited Jesus over. Obviously, Jesus, being God, knew that Simon's mother-in-law was sick. But nowhere in the texts that tell this story do we see that her sickness was the purpose of Jesus' visit. His purpose was fellowship and ministry happened. Simon's mother-in-law is sick. And how does Jesus approach her here in the book of Mark? In Luke, we read that Jesus rebukes the fever. In Matthew, we read that Jesus touches her. And here in Mark, we see the other side of the Savior. He gently reaches down, and he takes her hand, and he helps her up. He is physically present in a loving way. As Kent Hughes put it in his commentary, this is a distilling of the very principle of the Incarnation. This is the basic intent of God being with us, Christ with us, loving us, and ministering to us. We never really know what ministry is going to look like, do we? We can draw it up, we can have an outreach event, we can pass out flyers, and those can be good things. I encourage us to do those things, but let us not forget that ministry will also look like spending time with people, fellowshipping with people, sharing a meal, watching the game, investing in each other's lives, and then ministry happens. Relationships are formed. Trust is built. Conversations take place. Questions are asked, and ministry happens. It may not be the first outreach event or even outreach event that gets people to open up it it might be the 10th or, or the 20th we don't know how the holy spirit is working on people's lives and and we don't know the resistances that their hearts are putting up against the spirit's work but the more we get to know them and the more they get to know us the more trust we build the stronger the relationship the more likely the ministry the more likely they are to be receptive to a proclamation of the gospel So outreach is not just hitting people with Bible stories and giving them the gospel. Outreach is building trust and relationships. Sometimes it'll go real quick. And sometimes it'll take a while. The Holy Spirit's in charge of that part. But we are called to be present. To have our eyes open for the ways that God is messing with the people that he is bringing into our lives. And like Jesus, being with them, eating with them, laughing with them, investing in our relationships with them. And church ministry will happen. If our intent with those that come to our outreach events is strictly to give them the good news and not to get to know them, if our purpose is building friendships with people outside our church group, outside our Christian relationships group, is to tell them about Jesus and then move on, we're not being relational. We're being transactional. They came, we gave them the gospel, transaction ends. We did our part. We planted the seed and now God does his. He causes the seed to grow and and we can wash our hands and move on to the next field. And I'm not going to limit God in that. He totally can still work because he's God. But that isn't the type of ministry that Jesus encourages us to have in Scripture. It's not the ministry that he pursued. It's not the ministry that he modeled. We see this in our text this morning. Again, Jesus had been teaching in the synagogue, and then he had gone to Simon Peter's for Sabbath. And people had been amazed at the works that he was doing. And so the population of Capernaum's Jews had headed home for the Sabbath, and those with ailments, those with sicknesses, those with disabilities or demons were just waiting until Sabbath was over 
so they could make their way to the healer. Sabbath rules state that when three stars are visible in the night sky, the Sabbath was over. And so it's not hard to imagine people sitting at their windows, straining their eyes to spot the three stars. And as soon as they did, they rush out the door with those that were infirm and make their way to Simon's house, to where they know Jesus is staying, seeking healing and seeking deliverance. Verse 32 of our text says that that evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons. The town is at Jesus' door. Ministry has come to him, but it's not the fellowship he came to Simon's house seeking. It's transactional. It's people wanting something that they know he has and leaving once they have received it. Like a young boy in Canada riding his bike to his sort of friend's house so that he can, play, he can get his video game fixed, the crowds of Capernaum were there for transactional purposes, for healing, and not for relationship with the healer. Which brings us to an important question. What role does God play in our lives? What does our relationship with God look like? Have we kept our relationship with God as transactional? When we talk to him, is it to make demands, to come to him in prayer, asking for something, begging for something? Do we keep him in a corner of our lives and when we see the, the three stars in the sky, make our approach to God with all the things that we need or want? Is that as far as our relationship with him goes? We believe in him, we trust in him, we, we have faith, we know that Jesus is our savior, but do we also see him as our friend? Is our relationship with God limited to what he has done for us, or does it go deeper than that? There's no question about where God desires our relationship to go. Where are we willing to take it? Transactional is easy. It doesn't make any demands of us. We believe, then we bring God our problems. And if you're in elementary school, that's great. But as we get older, as we mature, we know that God desires more from our relationship. And I'm not talking about following the law, though that will be the fruit of a maturing relationship with God. I'm talking about getting to know God more, hanging out with him in his word, seeing what he taught and living that out, loving our neighbor, as we'll see next week, eating with sinners, advocating for the overlooked, speaking out and working against injustice. A maturing relationship with God is moving forward in sanctification. It's the Holy Spirit at work in our lives. But do we desire that? If our relationship with God is strictly about escaping the fires of hell, what a waste. Like the people of Capernaum, we'll receive the healing, the transaction that we came looking for. We'll be missing out on a deeper relationship with the living God. We'll be missing out on so many of the amazing gifts that he wants to give us. We'll be missing out on the miraculous ways that he desires to use us in his mission to bring about his kingdom. Relationship with God is deep. And it is amazing, and it is hard, and it is scary, but it is the most fulfilling thing our lives are capable of experiencing. There is no greater adventure than to grow into deeper relationship with God. The God who loves us. The God who cares for us. The God who sent his son, Jesus, to teach us more about him, to open our eyes to the love that God has for us and for the lost. To move us past transactional relationship and into a personal one. 
Jesus modeled mission for us in fantastic ways as he healed and cast out demons, but also as he taught, as he loved the people around him, as he enjoyed his disciples, as he was exasperated by his disciples. He modeled healthy ministry when he would take time just to get away and be by himself. He modeled healthy boundaries when he challenged church leaders on their interpretation of the law and the traditions that they had put in place by man and not God. And ultimately, of course, Jesus gave us a picture of true love and sacrifice when he made his way up the hill to Calvary with the cross over his shoulders. Innocent in the eyes of God, but declared guilty by the mouths of men. Jesus accepted the nails into his hands and feet and the crown of thorns across his brow. And with those nails there on the cross, Jesus accepted, became the sin of the world. All of your sin, all of my sin, every time we've abused a relationship for our benefit, every time we've kept God at arm's length, every time we've resisted the Spirit's work in our lives, every time we've been immature in our relationship with God, every time we've avoided ministry, Every time we've looked down on others, every sin that we have ever done and ever will do, Jesus took them upon himself, and there on the cross he suffered for them, crying out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And there on the cross, just before he died, he said, It is finished, and surrendered his spirit for our sake, on our behalf. This is how great the love of God towards us is, towards all people. But Jesus did not stay dead. Three days later, he rose from the grave, defeating sin and death. And when we believe in him, when we trust in him, when we rest in the faith that he has given us, we receive the benefits of all that he did on the cross. The benefits of the forgiveness that he bought on the cross becomes ours through faith, through belief. The Bible tells us that the dirty rags of our sins are taken from us and we are clothed with the righteousness of Christ. So that when we stand before God, he doesn't see our sinfulness. Our sinfulness no longer keeps us separated from him. From him, for he sees the righteousness of his son. He sees Jesus. And we are brought into his family. All of this through faith, all of this through believing that Jesus is who he says he is, did what he says he did, and will do what he has promised to do. This is how we are saved through believing in Jesus Christ. And this powerful and loving God wants to have a deep relationship with us. Maybe that's. Hard for us to understand because so much of our Christian experience has been transactional. We go to church, we get baptized, we take communion, maybe we attend Sunday school or a midweek group. We know that we have the promise of eternal life with him and and it ends there. If that is where you are at this morning, church, know that there is so much more that God wants for you. That he is not taking his promises from you, faith saves And it is only faith that saves, but that God has such a deeper intention for us than a transactional relationship. He desires a personal relationship. And the benefit, the joys of that personal relationship are outrageous. They are crazy. They they are insane. They will shatter our perceptions of what life looks like. You may be called to, to ministry in ways you had never dreamed of. You might find yourself in the lives of people you had no idea you could relate to. You might find yourself moving across the country or changing careers. I don't know how God is working in your life, but I can promise you that God is calling you to depth and not surface. He is calling you into relationship and not transaction. He is calling you to the harvest fields and not to retirement. 
He is calling you to the storm and not to shelter. He is calling you to move deeper into your faith, deeper into relationship, for he wants you to know his heart for you and for the lost more and more. You may be tired. That's fine. Take a rest. We see Jesus do that in our text today, don't we? The crowds have gone, but early in the morning, while it is still dark, Jesus got up and left the house for some solitary time of prayer, for some rejuvenation, for some me time with his father. And the disciples search for him and finally find him. Everyone's looking for you, they tell him. And, and how does he respond? Let's get out of here. There are nearby villages. Let's, let's go there. I need to preach there also, for that is why I have come. Rest is good, church. Rest is necessary. Rest is a gift from God. But God's purpose for us here on earth is not rest. Take rest, but know that it is not the end. And as God gives you energy, which he will, rest in the energy that he gives you and move forward with where he is calling you. Move forward into the relationships that he has brought into your life. Love the people that he has given you to love. Be the church Calvary, be the body of Christ to a broken and needy community and world. Build relationships. Invest in your neighbor. Retirement for the Christian is eternity. In life, we have been called to mission. Is there any higher calling for the believer than to the harvest fields of our God? I can't see into the future, Calvary. I don't know how God will continue to use us where he has called us, but I am excited to see the harvest he will reap here in our church. Let us listen to the spirit working in our hearts, the spirit that is pushing us to relationship, that is pushing us to spend time together, that is pushing us to spend time with those that are not yet joining us in the pews. And as we enjoy our time together, I am so excited about the ministry that will happen. What a fantastic, gracious, merciful, and loving God we serve. Amen.